Welcome back to Whole Human Work. In this episode, we'll hear from Laura Cast, an entrepreneur, researcher, and strategist who has cultivated an especially human way of approaching work. Laura is someone who has embraced multiple passions and connected the dots along their journey to find their life's work. And I think you'll hear that coming through in this conversation. As a consultant, Lore helps emerging and established companies discover what customers value through teaching and coaching mission-driven product teams. And as a founder, Lore is busy creating ways for people to come together and foster belonging and deep connection. In addition to holding leadership roles within several startups, Lore has been a speaker and panelist at events like South by Southwest, the Grace Hopper Celebration, and many more. Lore is an experienced community organizer and serves on the board of the ProSocial Design Network. Be sure to support our guests by visiting the links in the show notes. Now, enjoy this unique conversation with Lore Kat. Community is so important, and I know this is something... You're living and breathing every day. So let's start where we were just discussing, potentially starting, which is what is community? How can we think about community maybe in a bigger way than we do typically? The way that I got interested in studying community, I'll say, I've always been a person drawn to community, both as a person kind of trying to facilitate community and participate in community. But when I went into this is my life calling kind of level. It was really out of being curious about belonging. And some of the things that define our sense of belonging are that we have frequent interactions with other people and that we feel like we matter and we're cared about and we care about other people. And that happens basically in community, in a good community. Now, what do we have these days? We have a lot of things that are communities in name. So people use the word community to refer to like where you live or your, you know, ethnic background or, um, or like being part of someone's audience. And so one of the really interesting things about community is that they're not like baked, like you don't just put a people into a room and now they're a community, right? Like it grows and it involves this building of trust and being seen. And and those things usually are best if they start small. So it's it's sort of a the opposite of what we're using in kind of like business context of community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm interested after hearing you describe it that way in getting into to, to get into the question of how do you best facilitate creating that type of community and that type of experience? Because I know that's something that is often misunderstood, especially within companies in my experience, where there, there can often be a genuine desire to create these spaces where there is real belonging. Mm -hmm. There is true care amongst people. And there, there is that feeling of that I, I, I matter. I'm, I'm more than a number. I'm more than a cog in the machine. And yet it's so elusive. It seems to be so elusive. My guess is that part of that has to do with the culture many of us grew up within, which doesn't 
tend to understand what community in this respect actually is. And so we try and create it from a place that it's just not, we're, we're not connected yet to what you were just describing. So I'd love to get your take on that. Absolutely. There are a couple of things that you said that spark for me. One is that just generally we're moving into much more individualism, like on a global scale, the American context is definitely like at the center of that, right? Like, oh, we've, you know, we're going to do it ourselves and like other people should be able to do it themselves. And if you can't, then there's something deficient in you. Whereas community is really about like, nope, like we're really interdependent. And if we're not in that relationship, then we're, we're going to fail and we're going to, you know, burn down the world. And there's kind of a, a individual challenge with companies building community in that community, in the way that it works as a natural emergent system of people is not typically a thing where somebody runs it and manages it. It's like people are coming together with their own agency, with their own sense of, I want to contribute to this and participate in this. And when a company builds a, builds a community, it's usually like, part of their marketing efforts or, you know, something that it kind of makes it very difficult for people to have that organic feeling of like, I'm coming here to contribute to something and not impossible. And and definitely there are, you know, communities around businesses where people have this feeling like I'm doing something that matters to me and other people care about it. But there tends to be a little bit of a tension between like, the person who's so-called running the community and like their metrics are like engagement or like even sometimes sales conversions or something like that, as opposed to a community that is more emergent. And and one of the, like a great example of a community that's interesting to me is the notion community where they, people kind of were just permitted to go and like make their own, you know, courses or products or something like that around notion. And notion wasn't like, managing it. And then that created this sense for people that, oh, they were able to just come in and like kind of use this tool and do what they wanted. And maybe there's some there's some criteria that Notion might use to feature what they're doing, but they're they're kind of letting people create their own groups of people and, and people working together. And I think that approach is actually undervalued. So a lot of the effort in sort of corporate communities right now is like we hire a community manager and then that person's job is to like let everyone into Slack and then like make them care about each other in a Slack, which is an impossible task. And and so it puts people who are trying to do the community in a bad situation. The metrics that we evaluate those communities are usually not the right ones. It's just an interesting early stage in how we're trying to align community, which is kind of anti-capitalist with our businesses and like, how can we use this as like a tactic to help us make money? Yeah, it's so interesting because you brought up metrics and and measures where we, if we're approaching things in such a way where we're we're allowing space for emergence, which I would love to talk more about because it's one of those concepts that can can be, at least for me, hard to define. But when we're talking about approaching community building and facilitation of connection in this way, there aren't the same, we can't think about it linearly in the way we would traditionally look at, okay, if we accomplish this, we should have these outcomes and that should tell us how well are we accomplishing this. And that's 
a really hard thing for many of us to wrap our minds around having grown up in spaces within business, especially where that's how you show your value. That's how you show that you're, you're doing something is right. through these measures. And I'll, I'll resist the temptation to get on my soapbox of all the running around in circles that happens within organizations I consult with, because we decided we're going to use these metrics as a North star. And so we get, we, we, our, our aperture narrows to these metrics and we lose the awareness of the system effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting conundrum. So in my, you know, in one of my lives that I am living, I also coach product teams. And so in that context, you know, we do often want to like define what are, what is our business goal in a way that's pretty clear. And I think that's necessary. And so the question is, how do we align? And I'll just step back to say, these things aren't incompatible, like delivering value to people, to humans is usually the way that we succeed at our business school, right? Like maybe if you're making something that's like, I don't know, some AI developer tool coder thing that is like, so very far back from in the stack from your real user experience, you can live without that. But most of the time, the way that we as businesses succeed is to deliver value to people who think it's valuable and they pay us for it. And, you know, life is good for everybody, at least in theory. <laughs> so um, when you talk about community, though, the the interesting thing is that having a strong agenda is almost always going to break a community. So community is this really cool thing where people are coming in because they are themselves somebody with a motive and they want to, you know, do that thing with other people. You know, if it's either transformation or building a social connection or doing movement work or whatever it may be, they have their own individual agency. And when we say, well, everything you do, community member, has to be in service of a metric that is good for our business, they're just not going to do it or they're going to leave. You know, it's not, it's just not successful. And so then we have to think about, okay, if we want to have community surrounding our business, how can we think of it more as like a learning experience for us as opposed to a sales or marketing experience? And I always suggest to companies who are interested in having like community led kinds of, of product marketing to actually put community into the product org instead of into marketing or sales or customer success or any of those places. A, that's usually where a lot of the power is in product companies. And so it's actually taken seriously and not like as a cost center. But the other thing is that it's, it is a really valuable way to learn by simply creating a space where people are engaging around the thing that you're trying to deliver value up on and then getting to see, Oh, what do they talk about? What do they care about? How do they define the problem space? You know, that kind of information is extremely valuable for a, a product company and it doesn't require than having like a brand experience in the community. If I'm listening and thinking, yeah, okay. It makes sense to, to make some of these, these shifts and how we're relating to community to where we're seeding community within the organization. But also I don't know that I, I know of 
many people who can effectively create what it is you're talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> where do you where do you go from there? Well, the other, I guess, piece of advice, I don't know if it's advice, but in terms of like that inner relationship between business and community, you know, it's a lot easier to discover people already having a community and then supporting it, contributing to it, than to like try to build a community. And there are so many reasons for that, some of which we've already talked about, but also it's just like less resources. So I think that's usually the best way to go. The The idea that you have to own the community is a very like, you know, web 2.0 kind of idea. We measure everything in this sense of like owning something that it can't be owned. Like you cannot own a community. It is, you can, you can own the software the community is using for communicating, but even that, you know, like often people figure out how to do it themselves much more effectively than you picking a thing and then putting them in it, especially because most of the tools that we have right now for building community online around a business are very disconnecting. Like you're not going into a forum or like a discord or Slack, maybe, I mean, discord, Discord's just probably not a good idea for a business. <laughs> kind of a, it's good for gamers. I'll say that. But you know, you put like people into a Slack, and then there may be some information exchange, which is really great. But it's not where community is is sparking. That comes from maybe hosting events or from allowing people to meet each other or to sponsoring a project that people are like want to work on themselves together. Those kinds of things are what actually foster people connecting. You were sharing something a moment ago, which I thought was really interesting and I'm curious about, which is this idea of if you're wanting to cultivate community, finding where the community is organically emerging and basically come in and support that. Is that yeah. right? Absolutely. The people who are actually doing this because they care about it will always be better at doing it than anybody who you could hire. And I, I have a lot of folks who I talk to who are paid community managers, so I'm not dissing on them in any way, just saying like, it's sort of a structural conceit to be like, what we need is to, you know, have someone like run our community instead hire somebody to be an ambassador to a community and like actually contribute, do the work, be a part of what people, other people are trying to build. It's so much more effective. Hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking now about maybe a bit of a, a shift in gears, which is mm -hmm. around the necessity within organizations and really within groups more generally to, to be responsive to be learning, to be evolving. And the challenge that so many organizational and social structures have with that. And as, as you're speaking, I'm getting curious about what, what tenets here, what, what kind of what approaches might be supportive in spaces where that, that learning and that continuous growth seems to be impeded. And so we take the traditional approaches of, you know, point in time events and hope that that's going to create some of the connections and stoke some of the social learning and, mm. 
and support the evolution of a, of a group or a team or an organization. And I guess I'm, I'm thinking through as you're speaking, what, what community oriented approaches might be supportive in making some of these organizational structures better suited to change, to evolve, to tap into some maybe emergent qualities as, a, as opposed to being so staccato as they tend to be? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there's a, lar- a huge spectrum of answer here. I mean, on the one hand, what I'm working on now is could that could this kind of thinking actually be the core thing of building a business? So that requires a whole totally different approach from a business model standpoint, from, you know, thinking about how you build things, it's probably like more of a co-op kind of a scenario, right? Than you would if you're trying to do like a traditional like corporation kind of business. There are certainly things about belonging that I've seen corporations incorporate that can help them. But it, you know, it's a real challenge because at the end of the day, if the model is that I'm hiring you and I can fire you at will. And, you know, I like, there's so much power dynamics in that to incorporate things that give you a sense of belonging and community is sort of lie in a way, right? (laughs) To be full on blunt, but those things can be really good depending on how you structure them. So, you know, one of the things that's very clear is that small teams are better as an organizational structure than, you know, trying to have a large team of people or like a department or something like that. Cross-functional teams usually have more success than ones that are in like different silos because in the the way that belonging works in a weird way is that if you put people into small groups where they have to figure out how to work with each other, they humans naturally extend a lot of social grace in that context that is very hard to have in a situation where there's my tribe of people who I'm with and then there's your tribe of people, you know, and that that kind of thinking just happens to us naturally. And so definitely getting people to do that kind of interrelating as a team can be really helpful. I feel like there's a lot of answers to this. Can you yeah. be, can give me a, like a scenario that you're thinking about maybe? Well, I think we're actually getting to the the core of, of, of what I believe and we can test and see, see how much this resonates with you and your experience. But when we're talking about approaching, let's, let's take the, the business context in this, in this case, when we're talking about approaching things in this way, because it is so, so different and so it, it, is not, it is not in alignment with the traditional business structures, to your point a moment ago. It's why, it's why we're, many of us are thinking about what are new, different ways, just entirely different models we can leverage to start businesses from the beginning mm-hmm. in, in a way that is more, that is, is more readily able to, to grow and evolve and facilitate connection and belonging. And... <laughs> And where I'm, the thread that I'm looking to connect here is if we are operating within some of these existing structures and we're hoping to create 
real change in these structures so that they are more of all of those things that I just shared and that we've been talking about. It has to begin with a certain level of awareness within the individual Mm -hmm. of not only what's possible, but also all the ways that I actually am reinforcing or, or embodying some of those old structures within myself and within my own behavior. So yeah. this, can, this can kind of very quickly open up into a, a, a much bigger conversation than we have time for right now. But that connection between the system and the individual, that relationship that is always, always yes. influencing where things move. What, what can you share around this? I mean, I'm lit- the literal name of what I'm building is fractals. So I guess I'm with you. <laughs> you know, this is the really interesting thing about these. We as humans, our small groups, our larger groups, our communities, our, our culture, that they're all embodiments at, at different levels of the same thing. And I recommend a book you might be interested in. Well, I really like this book called Community, the Structure of Our Belonging by Peter Block. He has a new book that I found the beginning of to be really helpful, speaking just to this, which is called Confronting Our Freedom. And the idea, I think, is fundamentally that our structures kind of, you know, in our capitalist world to make it, I don't know, corporate capitalist world, I'll say, I don't know if it's just capitalism itself, but but the way that we've structured things in most people's work world is in a way that implies that they should have no freedom, right? They, everybody needs to be managed and needs to be, you know, like told how our value system works, you know, things like that. And that you see as well in family systems, you see as well in your, the communities in the way that our political systems are structured, you know, these all kind of fit together. And I think maybe one of the things that I remember about our previous conversation that really resonated for me is that the real thing that you can do here is to find your freedom, right? To, to start looking for, wow, where am I buying into these stories about my own lack of freedom? And, and some of it is hard because when you have freedom, there's a lot of responsibility in that. There's a lot of accountability. There's a lot of things where, oh, I'm doing some things that are harmful to other people that are not easy to look at. And so there's also a lot of self-compassion that needs to go into that process of being like, yeah, I'm part of this, but I could choose a different path. And once you start going down that rabbit hole, then it's funny how you start seeing how everything that seems like it works in a certain way actually is really a choice. Like we are choosing every day to live in the world that we're living in. And what would it look like if we just stopped choosing that particular thing that doesn't feel good, aligned, supportive to the world, to ourselves, etc. And what would it look like if we just paused to acknowledge that it doesn't, that it's not aligned? It doesn't feel right. Maybe even pausing before we get so burnt out to a crisp that we have to take time aside and pause. Yeah. And this is where there's this interesting paradox of how important and valuable 
collective processes because I say we have to look for our individual freedom, but it's not an individualistic approach. Once we, if we think, oh, well, I've got to do this all myself, <laughs> you're already choosing something that doesn't make sense for us as humans, right? So, you know, choosing to be doing this kind of thinking with other people, choosing to trust other people, you know, these kinds of things are are part of it. And they're really antithetical to most of the signals that we get. Yeah, there's there's something that we have to accept if we are to take those steps and really let our guard down, like open mm-hmm. up to that level of vulnerability that facilitates that kind of connection with other people to to become more aware of the patterns within ourselves that have led us to continue reinforcing patterns that are actually not aligned. And part of that is an acceptance of, you mentioned the role that we play in it. Yeah, that can be, that can be a, a heavy experience to recognize that, the role that we've been playing in, in our own challenges and suffering. And there's a general acceptance of being a messy human without a clean, stable, certain experience which is effectively what a lot of we're what we're doing within capitalistic structures is saying if you just do this you'll get that certainty don't you worry right. yeah yeah it's it's an amazing lie that we are choosing so much of the time to think okay i won't have to feel something uncomfortable right like that's that's what the the thing that's going on here is so like we have come up with just billions and billions of dollars worth of ways that you can not have to feel uncomfortable. And it is assuredly going to destroy us, like from an individual level, from a collective level, from, you know, a climate level. And it's purely like, oh, we just don't want to feel uncomfortable. I feel like even in the world of trying to change things and mission-driven tech and activism, there's still an enormous attraction to figuring out how to change things for other people, how to help other people, you know, all of which just perpetuating. And so, you know, this work of being like, wow, but what am I doing? And how do I feel? And what am I avoiding? And then it's, this is an emergence, right? Like, as we do that ourselves and together, then more things that are possible come up. It's really cool. I mean, I, it sounds super woo. And I I was very not interested in a woo when I was younger. So it's always funny to me to be like, wow. But I think it's actually very practical and research-backed. So I'm, I'm excited to be experiencing it. And I, I really hope that more people will have that opportunity. I think a lot of things seem woo and are a little bit triggering to an extent when it's kind of like a part of us inside knows, ooh, you're about to you're about to touch something that you've been doing a really good job steering clear of. Right. Maybe you don't want to do that right now, which fair. And also the opportunity ahead if we want to really change systems. A new trajectory instead of the trajectory you were describing, which we're kind of barreling towards starting with yourself, taking responsibility for your ripple. And that looks like not going into 
a cave, metaphorically speaking, and like, I'm going to do my work and I'm going to figure things out. I'm going to do all the therapy. I'm going to just come out this pure, perfect specimen because that's not actually the point. And that runs counter to this, this essence of what we are and, and the necessity of connecting and being connected throughout the experience as opposed to this, this kind of story that we have, I think handed down from a number of different places that says like, I'll just go and do my messy stuff behind closed doors. And when I'm ready to connect with other people, when I feel like the risk is lower Mm -hmm. and I'll try. (laughs) Yeah. When, when I have achieved this level of status or, you know, some kind of marker that I'm okay, then I can be okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is really interesting to see how much value that we put on things like grinding or, you know, working hard to how much we put on empathy and, you know, just vulnerability. I mean, vulnerability is way harder than grinding, but it's something that we're like, oh no, our job is to never seem vulnerable. And I can't think of really many things in this world that don't sprout out of, you know, some kind of system of dominance that is just about like, I don't want to take that emotional risk. This is one of the, I would say, one of the core things that in my one-on-one work with leaders that we're unlearning mm-hmm. and moving through the process of unlearning around is, is this notion that I'm, I'm supposed to be as a leader, this, this like omniscient, perfect being. I've always got the answer. I've always got all my shit together. Everything's perfectly organized so that I can be this beacon of control when people feel out of control and feel like they're, they don't, it's, things are very uncertain. Yeah. Instead of learning to share in this reality that in fact, everything is uncertain. And if you can learn to move through that together, instead of hiding away back here and trying to deal with all the stuff that comes up around it by ourselves, it's amazing how much things can change how much potential for change is is opened up yeah for sure yeah to see leadership as not um being better but having the responsibility of leadership and then what do you need to be able to do that and so much of that is connection you can't really affect things in your organization without connection nor can you be good at figuring out what you should be drawing you know channeling things towards if you're not doing that work I'd love to hear how some of these things we're talking about that can start to seem abstract for, for many of us. How, yeah. how are these things showing up for you in, in your work, in what you're creating right now? Yeah. So in a very practical level, I am, you know, have a, have a UXC background and product. So I have been like designing an app, but also I'm working with folks from an organization called the Collaborative Technology Alliance. And the premise there is it's technology builders who are signing a pledge to make technology with a certain set of principles and and then kind of figuring out, okay, well, where is that going to lead? And it has been really interesting because, you know, I, I started the process thinking I was going to make a company and I read all the startup books, you know, and then I was like, I'm going to do it this way that people do it. And then as I 
sort of explored that, I was like, oh, well, that won't work at all to have the result that I want. The outcome that I want can't be built doing that. And now it's it's a very interesting thing where I don't have like a plan in the same way as I once did, but I also have been involved with the world of tech startups to know that every plan that I've ever heard of was like so inaccurate and, you know, it was like a dream. And it, I'm not sure that it actually helps that much to have that kind of a plan as much as it helps to have a strategy and a set of principles. And I think that's, you know, it's just true in every area of life, really. The more that you can know yourself, know what's going to work and what doesn't work, the more you just enjoy what you're doing and all the things of like, and it has to look like this at the end, kind of fall away. So what I'm hearing is one one way in which this is showing up for you is is not being wedded to these these plans where we can we can become just so focused on on the plan and executing to hit those markers on the plan that we we lose the ability to create in the way that you're speaking to. Yeah, and and there's a time and a place for, you know, having like a set of things that, like if you're building a feature, you're not going to be like let's just see what happens, you know, um, because we're talking about having people coming together and kind of like that, you need some kind of structures for that. You need there to be a container so that I know how I can be of service to this thing, but you know, I'm early, so I don't have the, the, that particular problem yet. I will, you know, and I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if it's problem is even the right way to put it, but yeah. Working with other folks on a team, you know, when you're leading a team is it, it also helps to just be, realize like everyone kind of knows what they're doing, but what we're trying to achieve is an outcome, not like to have this thing be done in this way. And it doesn't matter if you finish a, a really cool feature if nobody uses it. So just shifting the mindset around like, okay, well, what are we actually trying to achieve? And in this case, what I'm trying to achieve is something that is more like, I want to be in my life in a way that I love. And so that is, you know, brings in a lot more complexity and holistic thinking about, well, what does that look like? A very different motivator than how fast can I scale this thing? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's going to, it creates a different, different outcome. Definitely. And, and it just is a different process. There's a lot more needing to, to be there amidst the, the uncertainty and basically not tell ourselves that there is some, some form of, of certainty if we just keep going according to this plan. Yeah. And this is, a, this is a balance, for lack of a better term, that can be really hard to strike. In my experience, if we haven't, haven't done some of that that work to get get accustomed to being with those uncomfortable feelings and sensations that arise amidst uncertainty. Because to your point a moment ago, we're not saying throw the plan out of here, like we're just going to go and just start painting and just see what happens in that process. And yeah. we still do need structure. We need to, I like to think of it as we need to kind of contain and direct our energy in specific directions. Otherwise, the energy just gets totally dispersed. Yeah. And at the same time, what we're not saying is take all of the energy. You've got this plan on paper. 
we're going to put it squarely in between these lines and never look outside of these lines because that's a distraction. To your point about leadership, when we can let go of the the energy we're putting into seeming like a good leader and put it towards actually like the in service of our outcome, it, you know, that's quite a lot of more energy that, you know, is, is going to lead us to our outcome. Yes, exactly. I'll, I'll often have clients say at a certain moment in, in the one-on-one work, wow, I have so much more energy for all these creative things that I've been wanting to do forever. And it's, uh, it really is incredible when we realize how much energy we have to direct to not feeling our freaking feelings. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. insane. Yes. So tell me a little bit more just as we get closer to, to the end of our time together. I, I want to make sure, and you can tell I'm, an, I'm a very amateur podcaster because we've reached this point in the conversation and we really don't have much about your story. And mm. specifically, what drives you to do this stuff where my belief is it's unlikely that you have many people that you're interacting with on a day-to-day basis who totally get what you're doing, right. who believe that this is actually a thing that's possible and that's beneficial, et cetera, et cetera. So how have you arrived at this point that you're so committed to bringing this into the world? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is I think probably no matter you know what kind of other beliefs you have, when you're an entrepreneur, you generally are in a space where people are like, you're crazy most of the time, you know, that's, you're living in a future that you can see and, you know, trying to, to help other people see it. But if they could see that future, then we would already have that. So it's a, it's a general state of affairs, I think, for most people who are making something new. That said, for me, it really has been a long journey of, of understanding, like, what is the thing that I really care about? I don't, I think I was looking for something like that when I was younger, but really what happened is I, I just kept doing things and I've had a few different career paths. You know, I did a little bit of nonprofit work, then I worked in film, then I moved to tech, but I was always very driven by like, why do people do what they do? You know, what is going on? And I was also a kid who moved around a lot and then, you know, also lived in different places when, as an adult. So I think that when I realized how much belonging was a through line of just experiencing how belonging works and where I felt a sense of belonging, where I didn't feel a sense of belonging, where I saw other people um, experiencing belonging, realizing this kind of connection between the agency and belonging. So choosing belonging, as opposed to thinking belonging gets given to you by somebody. And then doing some work at my last job around community product building, something lit up in me. And I was like, this is a thing like this is what all of the things that I was like, these don't even make sense together that I've done them. We're all like, oh, no, everything, everything is connected to this. And so, yeah, it's, it's so interesting it's not something that is very explainable to have that feeling of like, yeah, I'm going to be doing this now for the rest of my life. Like this is the thing, but it is, it's very motivating to have it feel that way. And I think it does come in a way as we try out different things and then sort of keep finding ourselves thinking about the same thing over and over and over again, like, oh, okay, there must be something about this that I can be of service to. 
one thing that I like to ask every guest is going back to this idea of, of being a, of showing up in this whole human way with all of our humanity, with being willing to move through the discomfort, just like we move through all the, all the great parts about being human and bringing it all to the table, meeting reality is what supports you in, in doing that? What is a practice that you have something that you do in your life so that you can be grounded, aligned with that mission that is so important to you and present to what is my contribution here? Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of practices, certainly in the last couple of years, I've been like, whoa, there's just so many things I can add in here. It's crazy. Something that I've been doing for the last year has been a meditation plus collective sort of sharing thing that I'm, I do. So I, I think five days a week I do that and it's, you know, it's in the morning. And so I either do sitting or even walking meditation and then sort of hear other people's experiences around being in that practice. And that practice is intended to be around sort of collective liberation and, you know, looking at some of the structures and systems that are part of being alive. So I think that probably has been one thing that at least it's a more recent thing that, you know, it's just constantly so helpful to be both centering and, and coming into myself and being in relation to other people and and getting both of those experiences kind of intertwined is really, really helpful. Yeah. Not surprising that there is a community, community (laughs) side to, to one of the really important practices in your life. Yeah. I mean, I actually think that if you're not part of like almost any move towards community is probably a good step for, for folks right now, because we are, just so caught up in this idea of doing things alone. It's just a way to remind yourself, oh, like, it's not all about me. It's not all about like whether I'm doing it right. Mm-hmm. Let me tap back into some of the, the benefits of being in a, a part of a, of a village, a part of a network, a part of just a, a broader tapestry of people. Yeah. That can really shift things. Not having to leave anything. Beautiful. So, Laura, how can people find you, connect with you and your work? Few places that I am, spaces I'm in, I guess that I invite others. One is Pro Social Design Network, which is a nonprofit that is about making pro social church backed interventions in building technology. There's the Collaborative Technology Alliance, which I mentioned. There is my you know, I, I'm not, I, I really tr- am not interested in being a thought leader. So I try to minimize my, you know, impulses in that direction, I guess. But I, I would love people to check out fractals.community, which is sort of the right now, just a website and will eventually become the thing that I'm building. You're welcome to email or, or LinkedIn me or whatever. But yeah, that's, those are probably the the places that I encourage people to go. Thank you so much, Laura. Thanks for sharing your perspective on on community and bringing just all the wisdom you've accrued and all those different lives that you've, that you've lived and spaces that you played within that have, have brought you to this place. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. 